Welcome back to another episode of the Coach's Corner Podcast. I'm excited for this episode and I've been taking notes and trying to get a flow. Usually I'm like extremely prepared with one direction and this interesting thing happened because Abe Brown, our guest, Abe, what's up? Hey, hey, nice to be here. He, he's got he's got so much experience and different, like even just our pre-talk, I'm just like, whoa, there is so much to unpack here. But I think at the end of the day, the basis of what we'll be chatting about is something I'm really passionate about as well, but is leadership and just understanding that if if we're having a hard time leading or being leaders in our lives, at least from my experience, and Abe, I'm sure you've got so much to add to this, but at least from my experience, it's really hard to lead your clients to build a business to make those hard decisions and I I don't know if that's the way we're conditioned growing up like raise your hand don't talk ask to go to the bathroom and it's like we just it's like we we I guess we just maybe develop this inability to lead ourselves and if we can't lead ourselves and become leaders in our own life and so that's that's the basis of what I want to talk about but I've got a big mm, mind map of all these angles we can go because Abe you've got Momentum Coaching, which is like kind of your personal company with life coaching, leadership coaching, executive coaching. You also are the president of the Certified Coaching Federation, which is so cool because you get to see both sides of coaching businesses. You get to kind of be on the front line and do the actual coaching. You probably see a lot of marketing blunders. I know you're like a content-driven type of marketer who create really good stuff, put it out there, and let it stick and let people come to you, which I think is great. And then you also certify coaches and you're in that arena, so you're your scope is so wide, so we're going to have a lot of fun talking about the nitty-gritties of that. Right on. It sounds exciting. Thanks and, for having me. Yeah, of course, of course. And to tack onto that, I know with this COVID thing, you were kind of mentioning that you also have the mental health side of things. I believe you called it in Wellness Innovate, correct? Yeah, that's right. Wellness Innovate. And you're working with companies or with organizations on kind of the mental health aspect of things. So I guess as we have the social isolation thing, you're connecting i guess still while through social isolation but just making sure that we're talking about it and there's been a lot of interesting i don't i don't have the news or watch the tv but i just hear it from people is some pretty crazy stuff bubbling to the surface um that's like i guess we have more time to research this but there's like a lot of stuff bubbling to the surface and probably a lot of people themselves facing some dark things that maybe they were too busy to face before now that we have time to sit there we we got to deal with it. Yeah, I mean, I would say that uh, it's kind of crazy because COVID has been like this great amplifier, you know, whatever is going on uh, yeah. in uh, sort of my business, my life, uh, COVID has kind of amplified it. And so a lot of that underlying sort of mental health that's out there, I think has either sort of been amplified or exasperated by what's going on with COVID. And of course, we all know and understand like the rules around social distancing and all of that but but still you know hey we're, we're wired for connection right there's this really important need that we have and when we don't have that need properly met uh, then it, it ends up uh, coming out in all kinds of other uh, sort of uh, unhealthy ways right you're from your experience because i know you're from calgary just one province over i'm i'm, I'm here and we're, we're canadian and I've got a lot of American clients, as I'm sure you do as well. And when I started asking them about the state of affairs of what's going on around them, it just seemed like World War Three going on in the States. And like, I don't know, maybe I'm naive, but like us here in Vancouver, like even the day things were locked down, it's like people were in the parks, they were cycling. Like it seemed like 
people didn't really take it, at least from uh, maybe the group I run with and where I live. I'm just like, not much has changed. Stores were shut down, but it wasn't World War Three, at least from my perspective. And then talking to other countries, it was like okay. zero to 100 World War Three style apocalypse type stuff going on. So is that true or am I just like blind to all this and just kind of chilling? I think it is. I think it is uh, like sort of true. I think what it sort of is almost like dependent on is the amount of media that people are locking themselves into. So if you're, you know, dialing into CNN or Fox every day, uh, you know, what, what, what ends up happening is like, you know, imagine like your brain marinating in that constant stream of negativity. And then you come out into the real world and there's another person and all you've been hearing is masks and social distancing and they might have it. And if they sneeze, you know, and you're 20 feet away, you know, you're, you're going to drop dead on the spot. And, and so it's, it's kind of like, you know, that the atmosphere that you permit is the product you produce. And, you know, what's interesting here is, is where's the balance? Because, you know, this thing is a real, health concern. I don't think anyone sort of in their right minds denying that. But but just because it's a health concern, does that mean, you know, we've got to shut everything down and keep everybody, you know, at a distance with a 20 foot pole. And and I think a lot of folks just don't have the mental and emotional maturity to kind of straddle that, you know, seemingly complex thing. It's really not that complex. But, you know, when people are you know, mentally and emotionally sort of immature and their their driving force in life is fear, it causes them to just see the world in, in sort of distorted ways, right? Right. Fair fair enough. That's probably the thing is like people are like, there's elections going on. I'm like, what's that? Like I actually am so it's it's probably not the greatest thing, but I'm just so unplugged from everything. And I guess when you're mission driven, I'm just like, I don't have time for it. Oh. Maybe if I was like an investor and I was investing in massive companies, I'd be watching the news very carefully. But Life goes on. So, so how are you helping these companies with the wellness innovate with the social distancing? What's the one thing that's coming up a lot? Because I know you mentioned right before this is like business is booming for you. I know it's booming for me and anyone really in the online space who got lucky or thought far enough ahead to position themselves to ride the wave of the online kind of entrepreneurship is 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 booming. Um, the industry is booming. People are attention is online, but for those who may not be. How are you, what are you doing with them? Like what's, what's, what's some of the conversation around? So, you know, it's interesting because the, the area that we've really leaned into, at least in Wellness Innovate, is the uh, sort of small and medium-sized businesses, right? And in both uh, Canada and the U.S., they, they literally, so we're talking like zero to 100, 250, sorry, 250 employees, they represent like legit, like 97% of all the employers out there. Uh, the problem, right, is that though they're employing literally 97% of the people uh, in North America, they don't actually have the deep pockets, let's say, of a General Motors or, you know, Apple or whoever. So what has happened is a lot of these folks have taken out lines of credit. Uh, they're, they're, they're living often on sort of borrowing from their personal equity to fund right. their business because, because, like you said, they're mission-driven. They've got right. a passion. They've got a dream. And then COVID comes. And and now they've got to make tough choices that they've never had to make before, like laying off staff, like maybe shutting down operations, like like closing operations, like uh, having to choose between, you know, running with all of the, you know, of course, again, health regulations, which is fine. And how do you maintain profitability? So then, you know, that creates a real gaping mental health issue. 
because you can't really change the situation. COVID is what COVID is. But what you've got to do is find a way to cultivate some resilience and not just you, but your team, you know. So we've been doing a ton of uh, group coaching work and training workshops because, you know, what we've discovered is, you know, sort of the average North American just just isn't equipped. And so when you're talking about like clinical mental health issues, well, they need a clinical person, a psychiatrist or a psychologist. But but most people, it's it's how do I develop the resilience to show up every day? and give my best right because if i if i can do that then i'm not necessarily going to go down the clinical path but but if i don't have that resilience then what is sort of a garden variety level of anxiety or stress can pretty quickly become a clinical level of depression or anxiety right and that's where it gets scary why do you think people don't have that resilience that's a great question. I mean, I think part of it is just what gets modeled for people, right? Like, you know, we, we sort of, um, and I am, I'm a big fan of like safe spaces and wanting to make sure that everybody's treated with respect. Uh, the other side of that, though, is is life just ain't, ain't like that. And yeah. so sometimes, um, you know, I think, I mean, I'm a parent, I have three kids, and, and I want to do everything I can to protect my kids from harm. But I've also recognized that sometimes you know, pain is a pretty good teacher, much more effective than, you know, you know, I don't know, sticking a kid in the room or something. And, and I think generally parents, we've wanted to protect our kids from harm. And so, you know, now uh, a lot of these kids are in the workforce and they don't really know how to handle the stress and the, the hustle and the bustle, you know, kind of that it takes. The other side though, and this is really interesting is, uh, you know, when I did, uh, I did an MBA at the university of Calgary and, um, uh, you know, that is that was just something I did for kicks almost because I was already pretty established and successful in business. But I was talking to business leaders all the time and felt like, you know, this this will give them that little extra sense that at least I know what I'm talking about. And um, and so in our entire program, there was nothing. I mean, you know, maybe two or three classes out of hundreds where we talked about leadership as supporting the mental health of my people. And, uh, and, and that is, you know, the business case for that is profound. In other words, if, if my people are happy and healthy and feeling engaged and supported, well, they're going to perform at their best. And then everybody wins, right? The company's profitable, the people are productivity uh, goes up, and of course, retention uh, increases, right? But if, if it's a toxic work environment, and, uh, and, and I'm, I'm as a leader contributing to that, maybe even unintentionally, then, then that's bad. So I think that that's the other factor is that people, you know, back in the day, like 50 years ago, you could just be a leader and bark out orders and, you know, people either liked it or they didn't, but, but they didn't give you much pushback. Now, I think it's, it's not just emotional intelligence. It's how do we create psychologically safe environments that really support people and, and leaders just don't have the tools for that. I guess there's there's so many options and and what someone was uh, telling me this and I just was brilliant the the one thing you said and I I tried to write it down as fast as I could but uh, leadership is the uh, protecting or the growing or the um, feeding of the mental state of your people I'm not sure exactly how you worded it but it was brilliant I'm just like damn that's good and they were just saying how companies used to serve the CEOs or companies used to serve the owners and now the kind of model has flipped into like how can the company serve the people and if you can come into work and ask how can this company be a vehicle to lead your people to where they want to be, you'll have high performance teams without even having to bark 
any order they're in it so i I just love that the two kind of ideas are are so um so powerful so true i love that too you know and and it works right i mean it it genuinely works i think most people are uh, are hardworking and they go to work at a job because they they like the job and they want to contribute but but my actions as a leader either sort of positively contribute to their ability to do that or uh, negatively take away from it. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So we talked about a little bit of the mental health side, the leadership side, and we're still going to touch on a little bit more leadership. But you've also got a book and part of your entire, um, I'm going to call it the message or the angle or the the whole idea behind the momentum is getting you where you need to go. And I love that because right now we're kind of navigating between or through, um, I think life is uncertain. Every morning you wake up is pretty uncertain, but I think it's an amplified version of uncertainty of like elections and this and COVID. And it's like people are on edge. How are you helping? Or if, if we're talking to, even on uh, to coaches or, or entrepreneurs or business owners, how are you helping or how would you help them navigate this uncertainty? Maybe reframe. Like I, I like to think, I don't know who this was, but they some book I was reading, they're like, anyone can come up to you and hit you with a baseball bat. Like you, you have no control over that. Yeah. And I think about it every time I'm trying to control the situation. I'm like, wait, someone could come up to me and hit me with a baseball bat. I can't control that. So let me just let go. But sometimes that's really difficult. It's easy to say, but it's hard when you're emotionally invested in your company. You've been spending time to build it. And now you see it. All that hard work seems like it's um, possibly dwindling or just like you're, you're. It's scary. It's easy to say it's not, but it can be. How are you helping people navigate that part of it? It's a really good question, right? Because <clears throat> like at the end of the day, um, this situation has really uh, exposed what, you know, as coaches, we've always, I think, tried to work with our clients on. And that's that, you know, life, business, leadership, relationships, you know, they're full of uh, controllables and non-controllables, right? You know, we we are kind of, as humanity, like super fragile, right? Like there's so little that we can control, and so why not just acknowledge that, right? Why not lean into the fact that like this is a tough situation. Probably it's like a 10 to 1 ratio of stuff that I get to control versus I can't, right? And the 10 being the stuff I can't, right? And and so if that's the case, then why not lean in with passion and, and gusto and engagement to the stuff that I can control? So, you know, with some of these business owners, it is, you know, I can control my mental health today. Yeah. I can also control my processes. I can go digital. I can engage with my clients in a new way. Now, I can't, like, I can't control who wins the election. I can't control if, if the economy gets juiced with stimulus spending or not. I can't control, like, you name it. You can fill that list in. But, but, but all, I can sit around and bitch about that all day long, and people do, right? Big <laughs> time. I can, I don't know, like wake up and be like, all right, that is what that is. I'm going to control what I, what I can, right? And I'm going to execute that. Like I'm going to execute it like with, with 110% precision and excellence, right? And, and that's as a coach what I'll say to my client is, you know, don't complain about something or bitch about not seeing results until you've put in that 110% effort and you're executing with intelligence, right? Like you don't really have a right to complain until you know that you've done the best you can with what you've got. And, uh, you know, hey, uh, though there's a lot we can't control, let's be honest, there's some business fundamentals, right, in COVID that haven't changed, right? 
You know, I mean, the world was already moving digital. It was already moving online. Uh, you know, authenticity, vulnerability, these things matter, right? The, the way you relate and engage with your customer, all of those things still matter. COVID is, will not, cannot change that. So let's stop focusing on, you know, COVID and just look at how do I need to structure my business, COVID or not? Yeah, so love that. So, so feeding off of that, I remember, I don't know, like six years ago when I had no mental or emotional control. My emotions controlled me and I was on up, in up, in like up, down, up, down, up, down. I'd push on my business for four days and then I'd, I'd sit around for eight days complaining that it didn't work. And I had one coach like, thank you for being just blunt. But it was something along that same line of what you mentioned. But then they also said like you can literally control how you wake up, what you think about, what you feel all day and the quality of your content. I'm a huge content marketer. I know you are as well. Yeah. The quality of your content and why not focus on making your content just 1% better. Make that the game. 1% yeah. better every day. And I was like, it's been five, six years and I I hear that voice in my mind. Every podcast I'll re-listen to it and I'm like, how can I make it better? Every video, a thousand videos in, how can I make every video better? So Love it. when it comes to the marketing, so there's people sitting at home, maybe some coaches feeling a little defeated. I get that. I feel defeated as well. Things aren't maybe working out the way you wanted it to but you still have control of the content or of the marketing pieces. Um, and again, I'm not saying content marketing is the only way, but if content marketing is part of your strategy, or if you want to double down on content marketing, like are you doing the best? You said executing with excellence the best you can with what you have with your content. So let's talk about that. Content marketing, getting you know, the, your, your, your message out there, getting your, your gifts, letting people see you. And I think if we circle back to leadership, people are looking for leadership and they can't find it in government. They don't trust the government. They don't trust this, that. They don't trust the cops. Why don't we step up and be the leaders they're looking for? Uh, so let's talk about that a little bit. What do you got around that? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I love that. Uh, like, you know, you're, you're even asking the question, right? Because a lot of the time we're just putting stuff out there and we're not really sure is it doing any good. It's kind of like, you know, how do I measure success, right? And you know, for me, when I'm thinking about business in general, and, you know, I've run big businesses where it's all about commodities, right? Like, let's sell a product. And I've also had the privilege of leading nonprofits where, you know, you're really like selling a service. And what I love about coaching is it, and leadership is that it's, it's the perfect blend of both where you're really kind of selling a relationship, right? And the best relationships in my view, and this could be like your dating partner, your, your husband, your wife, like whatever you're into, this could be just your friend, the best relationships add value. And it's, and it's like this two way kind of thing. And so when I think about how can I engage with my clients, I'm always thinking like this person has problems already, you know, I don't need to create another problem for them. Right. I need to solve a problem for them. And, uh, you know, content is, is a great way to do that. I think that the, the, the other side is that there are so many voices today and, uh, you know, being uh, the president of the Certified Coaches Federation, you know, we've trained and certified thousands of coaches and a lot of them are really discouraged because they're like, well, you know, there's so many other out there voices. How, how can I be heard? And, and that's what, another reason why I think this sort of content driven strategy is so critical because it allows you to differentiate yourself somewhat. Like I, I love that concept of needing a thousand fans, right? Yeah. You know, ra you know, rather than needing, you know, 10,000, 
you know, a hundred thousand, a million, you know, you know, this, this concept, uh, you know, of, of, of a thousand fans is what really what you need. And if you can leverage that effectively, you can make a very good living. So how do you create a, I'm obsessed with this topic because I was an actor. So I studied why, like I studied the careers of actors and that's how I actually got into marketing because it was story based. It was like acting and, and, and movies were all story. And when I got into marketing, I'm like, okay, hold up. There's a big parallel here of why some actors get famous and what their USP is and what their little thing is and how they differentiate themselves in a very competitive market to get to the top, top, top and be in Hollywood movies and get paid X amount. So I, I followed their careers and I was really obsessed with this. So when it comes to a view and a fan, I think because you were kind of mentioning who cares about the million views, let's care about a thousand fans. How would you describe a fan or maybe the process of creating fans? How is that relationship built? I love that. And and it's not to say that, you know, we don't need uh, the top of our sales funnel to be, uh, I think, as massive as, as it possibly can be. So, um, hey, a million views is a beautiful thing any day of the week, right? Yeah, I'll take but, it. But, you know, what, what can happen, I think, is we get caught up in that. And and you start to look at, like, how am I actually, you know, what is my my revenue ratio per Per fan, you know, I think that's a really important question to ask. So if I have a a thousand true fans uh, and my revenue ratio is much, much better than a million, then I think not only does that tap into my my, because a lot of people can't handle a million fans like it's it's just it's just going to blow their mind. They won't know how to process it and they'll become someone that they're not. Whereas a thousand sort of works. So your question about how I think you build it. I think that the big thing really when you look at the digital age is if you can on on top of this content driven strategy really add that sense of personal touch and personal connection like even you right I mean I've been on lots of podcasts and and I think that that you have a way of relating prior to the call in our email communication even with you know the people that that are supporting you of of making it more than just I just need another podcast guest it's Let's build a bit of a relationship, right? And that deposit down the line is going to yield on on both sides. And that's kind of why I think people like you and I are in this business. It's not just the transaction. It's the relationship, right? And and we're in this in-between phase where we don't really know, you know, how deep do we go? And we don't want to go that deep. And that's fine. But we still need to make it, in my view, a little bit more about the relationship and a little bit less about just the transaction. So I think I think to sum that up, because you mentioned the digital age, and this is something I so relate with, is it's easy to get lost in the click and forget it's a human or in the email open rates or in the top of sales funnel into blah, 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 and into 1,000 views of my VSL and start looking at the percentages, which is really important, of course. And I don't know, I think it was Landon. Anyway, a guy, a guest a few weeks ago just gave me this value bomb. This is why I love doing this, because I take notes, and I'm like, I just become better every day. But he said, um, high-tech, high-value. Keeping it high-tech, but adding that high-value touch to the high-tech. And I was just like, boom. That's like, that's my entire philosophy. It just was summed up in that word is leverage technology, because it's a beautiful gift. Beautiful. But make sure that there's a touch of value. And moving forward into 2021 and forward, I think... It's, it's probably going to be more important than ever because people are starting to get sick and tired of just being an automation. I think so, right? And, and it's sort of like, 
Um, it's funny because, you know, um, I have a 21 year old son, if I can use an example, and I have a five year old daughter. Oh, wow. And, and, and I'm, uh, it's kind of funny cause I'm, I'm in my forties. Right. And so like the world, it's my 21 year old and I talk about how different the world is that I grew up versus him. Right. right? You know, yeah. even though there was 20 years between us and I grew up in the, you'd be sixties. No, no, I was in, in the eighties. Right. This is when I kind of grew right. up. That's right. right. And, and, uh, and then he grew up, you know, in the early two thousands. Right. But then even he says like the differences between, uh, what his sister's growing up in the five-year-old and what he grew up in in that 15-year span is even way more profound I have to agree with him and so what happens is the speed of change is is occurring I think faster than our brains can process right and uh, That is what that is. I think our brains will speed up But the other side is there's this part of our brain that's so hardwired for social connection you know and 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 the power of story and how you know, story connects the right and the left side of the brain in ways that that technology just just can't can't allow for. So I love what you're saying, high tech, but high high value, and maybe even you know high connection, right? Because as you know, you can have one client who's paying you fifty thousand dollars a year, and that's pretty cool. That's a lot better than you know needing right. to go out there selling a million copies of your ten dollar book, right? Totally, totally. Love that. Let's talk about the, uh, I want to get this right, the CCF, Certified Coaching Federation. So we talked a little bit about the marketing side of things. I love content-driven marketing. I love paid traffic too. I think the two together run paid traffic into your content, boost that, get an audience as fast as you can and deliver value. You're going to win as a coach, um, even if you're just starting. Like Just find your voice, like, like Abe was saying, find your voice, amplify it and then once you're comfortable with it and you found your thing drive traffic to it, it it's so inexpensive these days and remember they're people so talk a little bit about the marketing side of things now the ccf so the certified coaching federation what's your role within that and let's talk about that yeah cool so i'm the president of ccf and uh i've been with them since uh 2008 so when i decided to become a coach it's kind of funny because you know, I had the, you know, this very career pathway. And, and I think like a lot of coaches, I had been coaching for a long time, but never monetized it. And I was actually a therapeutic counselor and a pastor for a number of years. Uh -huh. And so when I decided to start like coaching professionally, I thought I need to find some, some training and uh, some certification. Right. And, uh, and I stumbled upon them hmm. and took the training. And then, uh, that was 2007. And then after uh, leaning into that, and they were really um, quite an interesting phenomenon at the time, uh, then I was asked to step into this role and support uh, the growth and, and the development. So, so at that time, like you think of the coaching landscape today, and I yeah, know you're yeah, yeah. plugged in, um, you know, it's, it's just littered. But back then, there was not a lot of options. And uh, yeah. the, big, the big option was sort of the ICF uh, model, which is great. And uh, there's a lot of good there. Uh, I think CCF, our founder, his name's Derek Sweet, uh, his idea was kind of to disrupt that model. And it was sort of like, do you really need to spend 18 to 24 months and 15 to $20,000 on your coach training, especially if you already come to the table with yeah. often 15 or 20 years of education, professional experience, et cetera, right? And so it was a, a bit of a cleaner process, a little bit more efficient, and yet still 
uh, with a, a, a nice level of being robust, right? And that's what we have uh, focused on creating. I like that a lot. So it sounds like it's a little bit more, because um, I know I know coaches who don't have training, they can still be really good at what they do. They have all of this stuff, though, in their brains, and they don't know how to bring it down into actionable things for their clients. They don't know how to systemize that. Like They know they can create change in someone, but they just, it kind of evades them. So it sounds like the CCF kind of simplifies that process and gives you probably actionable tools while training you and like probably asking better questions and creating that rapport, but simplifies it and doesn't litter your brain with all of these different modalities, probably amplifies what maybe someone has. Am I off on that? No, you're, you're like bang on. Cool. And the reality like that. is that, yeah, because there's such diversity in coaching totally. as well. Like, you know, you, you, you know that. And so why sort of force feed people all of these different yeah. models that they probably won't use Whereas if we get beyond that to the mechanics of the relationship, then they can adapt that to their situation. I love that. In 2007, so we're talking because um, that's when you got uh, that's when you got certified, correct? Or that's when the IC uh, the CCF no, was started. No, that's when I got certified. Cool. And they we started in 2006 the certified okay. coaches Federation. Okay. So 2007, I can almost I I was not coaching back then, of course, but I can almost guarantee you that if you were like I'm a coach, people would be like, "What's a coach?" Oh yeah. Like they it were like, "What what's that?" It was a good time, you know, and I'm not, I'm not the tallest guy in the world. I'm about five foot nine and people would be like, ha ha, you're kind of short to be a basketball coach. And I'd be like, no, I'm a life coach. And then they'd say, oh, ha ha, you're going to coach me on how to do life. And I'm like, well, dude, you kind of need it. Yeah. (laughs) So funny. Cause I I guess that's, I mean, Tony really owned that space and he kind of really like, you know, Robbins and everything he's done just like the right time, right place. And just really took coaching to this awesome level. So he was kind of on his way. He was probably just starting back then and just sort of made coaching. I feel like he kind of set the bar for like, this is what coaching is. Oh, my goodness. I mean, talk about a like sort of a wave maker, right? A guy who knew what it was to pioneer and just go after something and create a market. So cool. So cool. So maybe one more look into this, and I really want to respect your time, but one look into this is 2007 to 2021. That's actually really weird to say, but almost 2021. Uh, What is that? Quick math. 13, 14 years. As the market got more saturated, I just think YouTube marketing, like 2009, 2010, 2011, beautiful time, YouTube marketing. You could put something out there and your video got you money. Like literally, you could sell a product with a shitty sales page and a buy now button with a guarantee that you wouldn't back up and you could get rich. Nowadays, the market's really saturated. A lot of coaches, a lot of people, like they'll just start an Instagram page and call themselves a life coach. And I don't, it's not my place to judge whether they should or should not be, but my level of I just know someone's commitment if they've been coaching for six months and they've been consistent with it. Or if I'm invited on a podcast, I'm like, how long has your podcast been around? Because if it's inconsistent, I say no. I don't care if you have one listener on your podcast. I, but if you've been doing it for a year and you're doing it every week, I'm, I'm on. I'm done. Like, let's do it. Because you're committed. I love, I love that energy. Yeah. Um, but, it, you know, if you're on your third episode and you're sporadic with it, I'll probably say no. So what do you think has been the biggest change only because I think that's so valuable information that not many people possess. A lot of the marketers are kind of young guns and they're great at what they do, but it's kind of cool to uh, see something over 14-year time span. What, what has been the biggest landscape shift in uh, coaching, marketing? I guess the online space is fairly new, but from your point of view. You know, it's going to sound like super simple, but I, I do think, and I do agree with you that there's... Um, you know, probably some trends that are emerging that that may not be sustainable because they're just not on a really good foundation. But 
I think the simplest thing is, is sort of video, right? Like video, like you said, you know, YouTube, everything kind of began there. And then, you know, now what, what has occurred, right, with the video and the application and the push from social platforms to optimize video, you know, it, it gives you a way to connect with people literally on a global scale. You know, so I'm a, I've also been a professional speaker, like I've spoken in uh, 20 different countries and four different continents and, you know, massive crowds. But 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 just through the use of video on social media, I'm able to reach far more than I ever was. And and I think that people who know how to do that well seem to me to be thrived. So you talk about Tony. Yeah. I mean, who, who, what, what does he do? He's done a lot of great things, but he's mastered that. And uh, and he's not afraid to lean into it. I think that if you can partner that again with that sort of high tech, high touch, you know, high level of connection, yeah. then you're off to the races. But for a lot of people, it's surprising that they still struggle, right, to just look at that camera uh, be authentic, be sincere, but still add value, right? So that's kind of what I think. I love that. We run master classes and we run training around video only because with the acting background. And uh, seven, eight years ago, we shot short films. I was really into acting and filmmaking, and I thought I was an artist. I thought I was going to be the next best thing in Hollywood. Um, actually moved There's down to California. There's still time, by the way, right? There's right? Time. There's always time. There's always time. My <laughs> intention, my reason for wanting to be an actor was totally skewed, which is why it didn't work. I actually wanted to make an impact. And then when I discovered coaching, I'm like, damn, I can mix these two things together. But Back then, the video equipment, even I remember this, I'm talking seven, eight years ago. Nowadays, you you can get like a beautiful setup. Not that that's important, but like everything in your phone has the capability to create Hollywood pictures, basically. Like if you have a newer phone, you can create a Hollywood picture. So basically, any excuse to get on video, minus the fact that you may be possessing some fear about it. But I'm like, if you're here to serve and if you actually care about your clients, and I always say this only because it raises eyebrows but i want you to listen is like you're an asshole if you're putting yourself first and not your client and if you're putting your own fears and insecurities first instead of putting your message out there and helping someone it's it's selfish it's kind of like dude what are you doing so i love that you said video right because um right because i don't know if a better platform to connect with with somebody other than speaking into a camera and then it's it's a it's the closest thing you can do other than i guess being right in front of them well, and I mean, you know, we talk about the election, but, you know, like it's it's amazing uh, no matter who wins this U.S. election because uh, they're still, you know, trying to count the ballots and all of that. But it's amazing how, um, you know, it looks like, you know, I mean, who knows, but uh, Biden it will will win or he he's going to come very close. And, you know, he really did his campaign uh, entirely through video, like yeah. like I know Trump mocked him a lot from his basement, but. The reality is that here's a guy who's going to win, uh, you know, or, or has a really good chance of winning the most powerful office in the world uh, just through video. And and of course, Trump was also using video and, and out there with the rallies and doing all the stuff he does. But it's just amazing how video yeah. has changed the world. Right. And the other thing is, you know, we are uh, as people like instinctively and you know this from your acting background, we're, we're, we're measuring communication through all kinds of channels. And and that the, the facial expressions, you know, right. the energy, uh, the eye contact, and and those are those cues that we're picking up on all the time, and video allows you to do that in a way that just audio and certainly even you know sort of written blogs maybe can't do as effectively. I love that. I love that. For for anyone listening, I, I truly hope that you got as much value from this as I did. I love this conversation. It could keep going. I guarantee you. There's just so many. Gems, what I do, so you know I'm in full alignment. I take notes every interview, 
three times a week, I'm taking notes and then I review them and I always grab one thing that I can actually take action on and maybe improve my life or my business. So I truly hope that if you're listening and you devoted 45 minutes here of your time, which is the most precious commodity, money you can make, time you can't, and you haven't taken notes and I'm calling you out, or you're going to leave this episode and jump onto another episode and not do anything with this, even one thing, it's, it's, it's kind of a waste of your time and, and a waste of everyone's time. So I truly hope, with love, I say this from my heart, that there's one thing that you learned from Abe that you can take, implement. And next thing I want to mention is where can we find you, Abe? So if you did get something from this episode, which I guarantee if you look hard enough, when someone's like, I read a book and I didn't get anything from it, I'm like, dude, there's always one thing. I don't care how bad the book is. There's something. I don't care how bad the course or the mastermind you just went to. There's one thing. There's got to be one thing. If they want to express their gratitude or reach out to you, where can they find you? Uh, you know, the best place would be Facebook, Abe Brown, author, speaker, coach. And uh, I'm putting a lot of stuff out there for sure. And, yeah. you know, not to give uh, uh, too much, but if they're just interested sort of in the mental health stuff, then check out wellnessinnovate.com. But all the coaching stuff, the coach training, CCF, all of it, you can find a Brown Author Speaker Coach. Awesome. All of those links will be below. No matter what platform you're on, those links will be below. And I always ask every guest this one thing, and I think this is actually the most fascinating part. I always save it till the end. Um, I, I, I love learning from anyone, but from people in trying to distill like their one philosophy or their one thing. Um with wherever they're at, some people just had a kid and their philosophy is different than it was three, four years ago. I get that. But with where you are right now, looking back, all the stuff, all the people, all the stages, all the mistakes that you've made, all the lessons you've learned, what would you tell your 2007 self or even earlier? What would you tell that young A. Brown who's ambitious, who's driven and uh, has a lot to learn and now yeah. has learned it? And still has a lot to learn. I would say, uh, don't be afraid to fail, right? Like, like love people authentically, right? And and as you do, you're going to make mistakes, but you're going to get better every time. Appreciate you. Thank you for the conversation. And Thank you. We'll chat soon. All right. Thanks, Lucas. Thanks, man. All right, so as always, I just want to finish off the episode with saying thank you for listening. These episodes are 100% free and they're dedicated to helping you build your coaching business because there are clients out there just waiting for you to reach them. They're waiting for you to give them a result. So do not give up on your dream and never give up on your business. Again, these episodes are 100% free. All I ask in return is that you give it a thumbs up, you give it a like, you give it a little bit of love in the comments or the reviews, and you share it with one or two coaches who you know could use help building their coaching businesses. That's it. I'm done. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode.